may be seated. Psalm 60. The Lord is our preservation. Now, there are obviously there are different ways to approach the Psalms, and <clears throat> if you've been paying attention at all, um, you know, I've kind of taken the historical perspective. <laughs> Let's go back and, you know, look at why this was written and what, it, what experience was going on in David's life when it came out of his heart. And and this is an easy, you know, when you go from one book to another book, you kind of separate them in your mind, you know, from the Bible. And it, sometimes it's good to realize it's a continuation of their historical movement, especially with the nation of Israel. And so David was born in the time of the judges. That was coming to an end. Samuel was that transitional man. He was the last judge and the first prophet. You know, and, and just a little side note, I always find it interesting how God goes about filling the need he has for his vision, his purpose for man. And so he allows things to happen in people's lives. Hannah couldn't have children. And she was getting treated miserably by her. The other wife, Benina. But it broke her, brought her to her her end. Just give me one child. If you give me a man child, I'll give him back to you. Just what I was looking for, <laughs> you know. And of course, she lent him to the Lord, and you know the history. So David was born at the end of that era. Samuel was an old prophet. He had installed the first king, Saul. He didn't do really anything to assuage the corruption that was in the nation. Remember the theme? Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Of course, we can't really relate to that anymore. <laughs> All right. And so you have a king who's so self-centered, narcissistic, that he can't get beyond himself for 40 years. It's all about him and his statues, his monument, how people treat him, what pe how people are helping him. He doesn't have a clue what it means to be a servant. And so the surrounding nations were God's instrument of chastisement for the disobedience. And so we're going to kind of see a little bit of that. So if you're familiar with David's history as he comes to the scene in this particular situation, he's, um, as he takes the throne... And he makes many conquests. All these surrounding nations that have been hassling them, the Midianites, Moab, the Edomites, the Syrians, the Philistines, all these surrounding nations have just been a thorn in their side. And it's because of their disobedience and their lack of faith. And so David cleans house. <laughs> and God is with him. And, it's, and so this one here is tied in with 2 Samuel chapter 8 which we'll get to later uh, he had a war with Syria which would be Damascus and then Edom uh, in the south and, um, and this is what was the uh, I think the motive for writing this 
a particular psalm. Let's read here, which, you know, because some of this is kind of like, okay, wow, what's going on here? You, you just automatically, it's, it's a prayer for deliverance. And as I <clears throat> um, would like to allude to, there's different ways to approach the Psalms. I like the historical view. I'm not a musician. Now, if I were a musician, I'd say, you know, I'd break this down and look at it from a musician's point of view, which is okay, but I think the historical part's more effective. I think it's richer. Um, but when you begin to read through this, you realize, wow, this is, there's more to it than just these words here. I mean, this, this is rich. Oh God, you've cast us off. You've broken us down. You've been displeased. Oh, restore us again. You've made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You've shown your people hard things, and you've made us drink the wine of confusion. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of truth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also a helmet for my head. Judah, my lawgiver. Moab, my washpot. Over Edom, I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our enemies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. For through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. You know, so almost all these psalms are they're, they're prayers. They're, 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 they're stuff that's coming from within. And as David is, it's, he's always going upon the Lord. And I think that's why we love the songbook. We love this because, I mean, is there a day that goes, isn't, I don't have a day go by which I'm not asking the Lord to help me. I need his constant, continual assistance no matter what I'm doing. I don't understand everything. I don't see everything. And I surely don't know everything. And, and those are important things in life, when you're, especially when you're making decisions that have an effect on your life or your family or your marriage, or whatever. So these conquests um, had been taking place, and, and this is a reference to um, a part of that. But the, in verses 1 through 5, we have that prayer for deliverance. Uh, uh, it, it's, why would you need be, to be restored? Because something has happened that you're not what you should be or you could have been. Something is a, kil, a, is kil, a kilter, and you need to deal with it. They're broken down. Why are you broken down? Why, why would God be displeased? You know, if you read through the scriptures, the anger of the Lord was kindled. You read that phrase sometimes. What does it usually come from? Doesn't it usually come from a disobedience? A willful disobedience. It, not a slippage, not like, oh, whoops. No, it's, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
I know I shouldn't bow down to these idols, but I, you know, I don't want to face the persecution. I don't want to. I don't. I want to get along with everybody. You know that kind of thing. And so, David knows that the nation is not in a good standing under Saul. He. This is what he grew up in. The nation is in trouble. They've been fighting these little wars. He had the twelve judges, one from each tribe. Different enemies, different people. And in this way, he's relating a little bit of the history. You've shown us hard things. He made us drink the wine of confusion. He's comparing, you know, and the earth shaking. He's comparing how the disobedience has just turned their world upside down. And that's, this is what happens with people who rebel against God. <laughs> that's, that's what's coming. Oh, they... you. I mean, look at our culture. This disobedience, do you think these people that are doing the th- various things in the medical industry, across the board, there's not one perf- you know, government agency, not one sector of our culture that it's not been turned upside down and it's, it's, it's toppled through corruption. It is corrupt and rotten to the core. As Proverbs says, when the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? Well, obviously all we can do is call upon the Lord. I'm telling you, the church is the only thing, in our prayers, is the only thing that's going to turn us around if it gets turned around. And if we don't wake up, and if Israel didn't wake up under David's rule, what would have happened to them? God raised it, you know, he raised up someone to lead the nation back to him. And they desperately needed that. I mean, they went through the judges. They went through Saul. They had a strong leader in Samuel, but it wasn't sufficient. They needed a really strong leader to unite the nation. And God was raising up a man after his own heart. And this is a beautiful you know, witness that why God raised him up. You know, he was showing us hard things. You know, you can either learn the lessons the easy way or you can learn them the hard way. But if you belong to God, you're going to learn them. Because he's no respecter of persons. Whatever you got, I have to do, you have to do. This is the book. This is, this is what we go by. There are no exceptions. Oh, well, you don't really understand, Pastor, because I... Really? Oh, so you're the exception to the... You, you don't have to do that. Aren't you special? I mean, some people kind of give you that impression anyway, right? And I know I've said this before, but it's one of my favorite sayings, John Wayne... Life is hard. Being stupid makes it harder. And that's just what this is. Disobedience. It's just the dumbest thing you can do. Why would you know that if you touch that hot burner, you're going to fry your hand? But I don't care. It looks like it might be fun. This is, you know, we don't see that hook that's in the bait when we fall into and we take the temptations of the world and God is and this is what David learned he, 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 he got off this horizontal plane he got vertical this is what counseling's about this is what our fellowship is about we help people redirect their thoughts one of the things we learned you know in going to Bible college part of our responsibility was to, to uh, spend time in the office we did a lot of phone counseling and what we were taught was do not give people your opinion because your opinion is 
It's like everybody else. They have one. The only opinion that matters is here. Always direct them to the Word. Direct them to the Word of God. That is the best thing that you and I can do as we're ministering in the body of Christ. Because we interact with people. Sunday morning is not our family time downstairs. That's all about interaction and, you know, paying attention because, you know, out of the mouth, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. People begin to say things. You know, I'm just really struggling with this. And you can, guess you can like, I didn't hear that (laughs) and just let it slide. Or you can, in this, you can be taking advantage of that openness there because that person is actually, it's a cry for help, a subtle way. But that's what we're here for. You're gonna, I'm down sometimes, you're down sometimes, I'm up sometimes, you're up sometimes. We're here to really help people along the journey. So this is what's going on here. This is actually, uh, unfortunately, this occurrence and these words that, that David penned here in the first uh, five verses are very similar uh, because... It seemed to be going on quite a bit in his life. Psalm 44, in, um, verses 9 through 26, you can, I'll just give you a list of a few things there. He was a little more detailed there, actually. We are ashamed. We're without protection in battle. We retreat. We're plundered. We're, we are sheep for food. We're scattered. We're sold into slavery for next to nothing. You're not glorified in these things. You're, we're at a distance from you. We're a reproach from our neighbors, a scorn, a derision, a byword. People shake their heads at us, a dishonor, a shame, and we're reproached and reviled by our enemies. This is what happens when the Christian, because Israel's an example, are they not? And we're to learn from that example. When a Christian is walking in direct disobedience, this is what happens in their life. The worst person to be around is a backslidden Christian. That is absolutely, you just want to stay away because you know you don't want to get what they've got <laughs> and what's coming down in their life. That's why you got to be careful that we, you don't continue to enable them to live in disobedience. And this requires discipline. You know, sometimes you have to say hard things. Sometimes you got to draw the line. No, can't do that, bro. You need, re- you know, the best thing for you, to, you, you should repent. You know, that kind of thing. Why is a Christian miserable? It can almost always come back to direct disobedience you're not doing. Why are you depressed? Now, I didn't realize there can be physiological issues here. And I'm not a doctor, but I would say almost all depression starts with uh, some type of disobedience and some, um, some besetting sin. Something I'm not dealing with. Because one of the... the uh, fruits of guilt is depression. I get down. Why? Because my human spirit and my soul is not built to deal with guilt. And I need to be forgiven. And that's the only way it can be lifted. When I confess my sin, guilt is lifted. I'm free. You're going to carry it. I'm going to carry it until I face it, until I deal with it. Now I may have joy I may have fake joy. I may fake my joy. I may say I'm happy, happy, happy. But inside I'm, this stinks, right? And I'm, not, I'm playing the game. I'm just facading it, you know. So God help us. And I like the way he ends 
um, you know, it, it says, you, verse 4, you've given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed because of your truth. You see, so you got, you know, the staggering confusion, dr- oh, like a drunken person doesn't have a clue what's going on. They don't understand. They're not aware of what they're seeing or saying. It, now the opposite. You've given a banner to those who fear you. We, God sends clear signals to you and me. There's no, there's no ambiguity when it comes to what's right and wrong. It's written in our hearts. You know, that's what the conscience is all about, right? You don't have to tell a little kid that he shouldn't be getting in the cookie jar when mommy told him not to, you know. <laughs> you just love little kids, don't you? And we're just like that, unfortunately. It's okay if I do this, right? No, it's not. You know, it's just kind of a silly way of looking at it, but it's true. We know, we have a clear signal, there's no ambiguity with the Lord. And if we obey the truth, what happens to us? We're free, and there is joy. And so, and here's the, here's the flip side of this thing, that people who want to flirt with the world and flirt with sin, they don't get. When you pray, and you're doing your best to walk with the Lord, and you have a clear conscience, when you pray, guess what happens? God answers those prayers. He's all over that. He, he is looking, and this is something that's got to sink in to our minds. And our, he is looking for any possible way he can bless you. It talks about doing God doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever think or ask. Now, I know some of you guys, ladies, got a great imagination, and you could probably think up some really cool things. You didn't come close to what God can do and how he wants to lavish his love and grace upon you and me. See, we, we just don't look at God that way. Well, and again, because we, we have this performance-based mentality, God help us to overcome that. It's all based upon who he is, not what we do. He's gracious and kind, and it's just having our hearts toward him. And then when we do cross the line, we do have violate our conscience, we deal with it. And, and, and that's just why David, if, if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, what Psalm 139, what does he say? Lead me. Because we, we don't see our blind spots. We don't see our faults. But God knows who we are. And he doesn't hold us in condemnation over because of it. With your righteous right hand, you know. Right? Save with your right hand. That's his power. That's symbolic. When you are in obedience to God, the power of God is at your disposal in a sense. We walk in the victory. We walk in his authority. It's there. What a position we have. What grace we've been given. God has spoken in his holiness, holiness and I will rejoice. And he gets into this list here, dividing Shechem and the Valley of Succoth. That's the booths in that area. Uh, mid, mid part of this country. But look at the list here. Uh, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine. Boy, does that ring? Think about that for a moment. When God says something is mine, well, there's certain things when you're a kid, yeah, that usually comes out from little kids. That's mine. When God says something is his, nobody's taking it away from him. You can't even begin to put your hands around something that belongs to God because it's his. That's what he thinks of Manasseh. Now, they were on the wrong side of the Jordan, weren't they? 
They put themselves out there, but they still belong to God. You know, you read through that and you think, you guys shouldn't be doing this. You know, you're reading through that Old Testament story and you just know that it's not a good choice. I don't know, but this land, it's just gorgeous. We got all these cows, we got all these sheep. Look at this pasture, we're staying here. We'll go fight, but we're staying here. Who was the first to go into captivity? They were. You know, God will let us, and this is the thing, he, he cannot rule human choice. We all have choices, right? And he lets you choose. What level of Christian living do I want to live in? Am I going to be satisfied with mediocrity here? Or do I want everything that God has for me? That's a challenge, isn't it? God help us. Ephraim is the helmet for my head, the protector. Judah is my lawgiver. That's Jesus came out of that. He's going to rule and reign. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. He's the king. Eventually, he'll come out of that. And then the, these lesser ones, Moab, Edom, and Philistia. Now, Moab's my wash pot. It, that's just so degrading, right? What's it talking about? It's talking about servitude. You guys are getting over, trying to get over on my, ki- my children, my nation. I'm going to make you slaves. You're going to be a slave to them. Eat them? Oh, I'll just throw my shoes on you. You're just a shoe rack to me. Now, those are not places of honor. When you attack God's people, you, and to dishonor someone, that's, blo- that's something that's God's, that he calls mine, and you dishonor that, you're going to get the lowest level of treatment. And Philistine, you're done. The Philistines, they never really bothered. To, they, their kingdom went down. David cleaned house. He, when, once he took out the giants and his mighty men took out all the giants, their, their dynasty it kind of went sideways and it was over. God had the final victory. And look, look at the last few verses here and what he does for us. Who will bring me to the strong city, verse 9? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you who cast us off? He leads, he helps, he treads down our enemies. That's the position of those who love God. He's going he's gonna to take care of us. And that, that's the promise we have. Let's go back to now to Samuel, 2 Samuel 8. And, and this is where the title of the message actually comes from. When you have a heart that is set up upon the Lord, one of the things that you can rest in is that he will preserve you. He will take care of you. God, God, is, God knows that we're not going to live perfect lives. He knows we're going to battle with sin. The most important thing for us as believers is to know how to handle sin when it happens. And then we deal with it right away. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first step is the confession, telling the truth, and then being washed. And that's through the word of God. You do this thing, you'll have the same promise and the same perspective God had towards David will be towards us. In the beginning of this chapter, they take out 
Moab. Yeah, they, they, they were brought to servitude, I would say. He drew a line. He made a line. Then verse 2, he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those who to be put to death and with one full line, those who, to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and they brought tribute. I'm telling you, that's... I can't imagine being in, in that situation. You know, when I read this, it reminds me of Nazi Germany. You know, they, there's, there's a line, there's some, some Jewish people were able to escape and others said Toswich. I mean, you just don't want to go against God's people. Then he defeated Zoba. He went on to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. So we're talking a substantial distance from the promised land. And if, you, if your Bible has a little introduction to Psalm 60, it says uh, it's a mictum, which means it's a teaching. That's what the Psalm's about. But it says, when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah, and Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. This is the psalm that was written from those two wars, those two victories. And this is what's going on here in chapter 8 of Second Samuel. He took, in verse 4, he took 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help, Hadanezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of, of the Syrians. So these people that have been hassling Israel for all these years, God's bringing a revival. God's bringing a restoration. That's what this psalm's about. It's about restoration and, and preservation. Because that's what you need. Once you've been restored, you need to be preserved through it. He put garrisons. Uh, there in Syria of Damascus and they became his servants and they brought him uh, tribute and notice verse 6 so the Lord preserved David wherever he went aren't you glad that God does that for you do you have that confidence in your life that he's preserving you he loves your kids more than you do he loves your wife more than you do he loves your husband more than you do he loves everything about your life more than you do he's more concerned about it than you are I have to ha remind myself, well, yeah, but there's just, you know, no, no I got this, okay. <laughs> we want to think that it's ours, it's our burden, it's our responsibility. You know, yeah, it might be to some degree, but really, it all belongs to him. So as he took the shields in verse 7, uh, and he brought those to Jerusalem. I mean, they just pilt, they plundered these nations around them. Verse 11, he dedicated these things to the Lord with the, uh, with the gold and the silver, which he had dedicated from all the nations that he subdued. He made himself a name, verse 13, he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom, and throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and, th and all the Edomites became his servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So he, when the Lord repeats something, he wants you to 
This is a little principle. If you are not aware of it, you need to be aware of it. If you hear, hear a Bible verse once, twice, in a couple of days, spiritual, your spiritual antenna ought to be picking that up. Ooh, what's God trying to, what's he saying to me? And you meditate on that. You think about that. So I had one of those that happened to me yesterday, Sunday. It was a verse that I was given, and then I heard it again. It's like, oh, what's that? I just love that. I just love the way the Lord reinforces things that he's doing, that he wants to communicate to us. And we need to embrace those things. Sometimes it can be a warning. Sometimes it can be direction. Sometimes it's just an encouragement. But it's, it's really what we need. That's probably why he does it. The Holy Spirit does it for us. So, verse 15, so David reigned over all Israel. He administered judgment and justice to all his people. And Joab, the son of Zuriah, or Zuriah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilab, was a recorder. Zadok, son of Hatub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. And then we have the mighty men that are listed there in verse 18. And this is what leadership is all about, is it not? To minister judgment and justice to his people. Something that had been lacking in Israel for over 100 years at least, probably closer to 150 years. How did they ever survive it? Would to God that he would bring back justice and judgment. I think, I'm thankful for the people that are Politically minded in our church, people think, eh, Christians, you know, you know what? We're Americans. America is like no other country. We have a dual citizenship, do we not? We're citizens of heaven, so we need to conduct ourselves because we're children of the king. But we're also belong to a sovereign republic. We're not a democracy. That's just, that's a, that's a, that's a brainwashing word. We're a republic, a representative republic. We are commanded to keep the people that represent us in check. And when they become tyrannical, it is our responsibility. This ought to go over real good on the recording, by the way. (laughs) It's our responsibility to remove the tyrants from their office. And I'm thankful that we have a grassroots movement in this state it may be not as aggressive and as good as we want it to be, but we're, but we're, people have awakened and up in the upstate here, at least. And, so, and part of that's because we're praying. I'm thankful for the guys that are serving in our church, and I think for the awareness that we have, and that we can speak freely about this. I can speak freely, and you're not offended by it, but you're encouraged. Yeah, for now. <laughs> so that's leads us into our prayer time. Really, um, you know, things are going to ramp up. I'm going to cut this off.